That's what he wanted, and there was times he moved towards Protestantism, but his defective or de, de facto position was defective. It was, <laughs> yes, it, it was, it was. It it was I used that slip of the tongue there positively. <laughs> that was a very good slip, of the tongue. <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he, he used that position. Uh, the Lord used it to bring about the Reformation. Uh, yeah. Conversations with Bob McAvoy on the Semper Reformata podcast. So with me today in the studio pod at Ballygown is Wallace Thompson. Wallace is a former civil servant, a one-time special advisor at the Stormont Assembly, and now the secretary of the Evangelical Protestant Society. Wallace, welcome to Ballygown. Thank you very much, Bob. And um, let's start with some local history. Wallace, back in the 1990s, I don't know why you know this or not, but back then I was responsible for printing regular issues of the Ulster Bulwark four times a year or so. I would churn out about 2,000 or so copies of the paper. Back then it was just an A4 folded black and white bulletin. Those were the days when Seamus Milligan was the secretary. And the Evangelical Protestant Society had its offices in a very distinctive building in Hard Street in Belfast. I still miss Seamus. Mm-hmm. It was when he retired, I lost that wee job, Wallace, yes. so I miss him. Yeah. But the organisation has changed and the magazine has changed. So can you tell us today, how did the EPS come into existence and what was its original purpose and what is its purpose? Certainly, Bob. Well, I didn't know that you lost a contract, and I, I was sorry to learn that, really. Uh, if I had been involved, that would not have happened. Yeah, I um, believe that was. You, you understand that. <laughs> that was all before my time. It but, was. Uh, uh, well, the institution or the organisation uh, itself began uh, in 1946 as a, a Northern Ireland branch of the National Union of Protestants, uh, in, based in Belfast. So the EPS sort of evolved out of that, uh, and it was our, the name was changed then to EPS in uh, 1954. And there's a bit of a history behind all of that, but the origins of what is the Evangelical Protestant Society go back to the mid, just to the post war era, where I think throughout the UK there was a feeling that evangelicals needed to come together to combat the rising tide of liberalism in the main denominations. And there was a concern about our Romer trend. Uh, liberalism and the Romer trend kind of almost went hand in hand. So a number of, of evangelicals from across different denominations uh, around 1946 came together to form the, the National Union of Protestants. In Northern Ireland. And that became the EPS. That became the EPS in, in 1954. And the Ulster Bulwark has always been a part of that, the, mm-hmm. the magazine. Tell me a wee bit about that. What kind of a magazine is it? Well, it's a magazine that has been the official organ of the EPS going right back, I think, to the nearly the beginning. It has normally come out four times a year, as it did when you were printing it, which is currently the, the, the way we work. I think it's stages during the history come out maybe more than that. In Seamus Milligan, you mentioned, you mentioned Seamus. I mean, Seamus was a main driving force after Norman he Porter. Was. Seamus yep. moulded and shaped the EPS, and the bulwark was very much a reflection of his personality and his his agenda. But it yep. was a mixture of, in Seamus's day, quite a lot of political comment, uh, doctrinal comment, news issue issues, and um, 
trying to, to highlight, I suppose, the uh, doctrinal differences between evangelical Protestantism and Roman Catholicism and other variations. Uh, so it would be a bit of a mixture of stuff. And it would be like that today. Even. Yeah, although we would be less uh, overtly political because we feel that we want to we want to do what we can to to maximise unity. And there are different views on political issues, so we would be careful about that. Though we have made comment on some political things, but we tend to... Uh, I, I'm editor of it now since about 2000 or 2001, uh, and I try to get the mixture of current uh, current issues doctrinal, devotional, educational, so challenging plus encouraging folk. One of the things I like about it, Wallace, is the, the historical content. Mm-hmm. There's some tremendous historical articles in it, some of them which you've written yourself. Well, I think the history is important too. To know our past and to know where we've come from exactly. uh, is, is vital. In families or wherever else, you want to know your origins. Well, obviously, being the Evangelical Protestant Society, we need to ask the question, what do you actually mean when you use the term Protestant. What is a Protestant? Where did that word come from? Well, the word itself uh, is an interesting uh, lineage. It, it goes back to the days of the Reformation. Some some commentators think it was first used by some of the, the German princes at the time when they were protesting against some of the uh, the, the, the different synods and, and uh, uh, diets that were being the held. Uh, diets of Spire, I think, in 1529 yeah. was the one that, that seemed to bring the name to public attention that these princes were protesting against uh, the Roman Catholic doctrines that were being promoted at the previous Diet and also protesting for the the, the, the biblical principles of the Reformation. So you had a kind of protest for and against, like a witness, almost witnessing or declaring you know, your belief. So while it has a negative connotation, Yes, we are protesting, but we're for and against. It's, yes, it's something that I've been thinking about because obviously the word Protestant does have negative connotations. Mm-hmm. But the word, when you look at the Latin origins, I mean, mm-hmm. protestia, mm-hmm. for the testimony. Yes. Uh, essentially, we are standing for the for, testimony yeah. of the Lord yeah. Jesus yes. Christ, aren't we? That's right. And that stresses, that point you've made stresses the, the positive rather than the negative. Yeah, we're not so. against, we are for. Yeah. Uh, and by nature, for. because we're for, the word of God and the and the gospel of Christ were therefore against those who would have a different gospel. Absolutely. So what distinguishes Protestantism from other branches of what we might call Christendom? I think uh, the, the common thread running through true Protestantism would be the great doctrine that Luther rediscovered when he himself became a believer and which was the key doctrine across the, the period of the Reformation and beyond that a person is only justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Um, that there can be no other way to be accepted by God. Uh, that was Luther's struggle, Luther's great relief when he discovered that it was all done by the Lord Jesus Christ. All we have to do is believe. Uh, so as Luther himself said, the doctrine of justification by faith alone is the mark of a standing or a falling church. And within EPS, we have many different denominations and groupings who would be supportive of our work. We would have differences of opinion on a number of things. Baptism, for example, or, or, or all those sorts of issues, but we do not have any difference on the fundamental mm-hmm. of salvation by justification, yeah, justification grace by grace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to be really mischievous here, Wallace, I'm afraid. Um, wasn't Henry VIII the first Protestant? Uh, well, wasn't he just a Protestant because he wanted to get a divorce? He was a strange character, and that's putting it mildly. A man of many parts, not only many wives, but many parts. He had a personality that's hard to get your head around. In his early Indeed. days, younger days, yes, there was a there was a 
there was an imperative to get a divorce and there was a fitting in of doctrine and all of that and the battle with Rome round all of that. But Henry was surprisingly interested in theology. He was. Uh, and even though he wanted to manoeuvre into a position where the Pope was no longer head of the English church, he was happy enough to hold on to, to Roman doctrine and in fact steeped himself in it and has, was the enemy at certain points of Luther. But then Henry would, would blow with the wind and then suddenly decide that some of these things of Luther's were okay. So to answer your question, he, he was used by God to bring the Reformation to England. He, he, he wanted to do what he was doing for his own personal reasons, but under God's hand, mm. it became a much bigger thing. And, and it's yeah. like Henry, uh, Henry himself. Henry himself basically was a Catholic without the Pope. He, that's what he wanted. And there was times he moved towards Protestantism, but his defective, or de, de facto position was defective. It was, yes, it, it was, was it, it was, was a slip of the tongue there, positively. That was a very good slip of the tongue. <laughs> Wasn't it? <laughs> uh, he, he used that position. Uh, the Lord used it to bring about the Reformation. About the Reformation. Uh, yeah. And, and he remained a Catholic to the day he died, for he heard Mass right up that's until right. his last days. But you have to realise as well that during that period, those coming out of Rome were still attached yeah, to all of were. that. It was their upbringing, you know, yeah. in their culture and mindset. Yeah. And it moved slower in England, I think, than it did in the Continental Reformation. Yes. Um, where and things moved at a much faster pace. And also Scotland, which and moved Scotland at its own well. distinctive speed under, under John Absolutely, Hobbs. absolutely. Some evangelical believers here in Northern Ireland and across the world don't use the word Protestant at all. So they say something like, um, I'm not a Protestant, I'm not a Catholic, I'm just a Christian. Mm-hmm. Is that helpful? Is it accurate? Not really, uh, because it, it, it uh, fudges the, the, the issues. I can understand to some degree the uh, reticence of evangelicals to use the name Protestant in Northern Ireland because of the way in which the name itself has become associated with culture and tradition and yeah. political identity. Uh, that's a fact of history. We know that, and there are different threads to Protestantism in Ulster. And believers across the water will say, oh, you can't be called a Protestant. Just look at those Ulster, those people in Ulster who claim to be Protestant. So that's a problem. Uh, but I don't think we should hand the name away to paramilitaries or to uh, those who have a humanist agenda yeah. or a political agenda. I think we have to hold to it. And I've often said, that in our name, Evangelical Protestant Society, a true Protestant should really be an evangelical, and an evangelical is a Protestant. They're, they're bound together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think too, the name gives a sense of history. I think it's important. I think people lose out by disassociating themselves mm-hmm. from historical Christianity. Yes. One of the wonderful things about Ballymacashan, where I worship, is I go in on the Lord's Day morning to a church building. That is 200 years old and it looks exactly what it, like what it was 200 years ago. And I walk through a graveyard where dead saints have been buried, old gospel ministers and people who yes. loved the Lord. And you can't help sitting and thinking, you know, there's years and years of Christianity in this place. Not just 200 years in our building, but 2000 years of church history. Are Christians sometimes guilty? of placing themselves outside that historical aspect of their Christian life that goes back to the Reformation and right back to the Apostle Paul 
and the Gospels. Yes, it's a good point, Dad. I think that there, and we're back to what we mentioned earlier about the need to know our history uh, and to see ourselves coming. I mean, in families, we like to see that we're descended from, you know, so-and-so, and and people are spending a lot of time now and a lot of effort and money to genealogy. And and it's understandable. Mm -hmm. Uh, In that case, you might get shocks that are nasty if you find out about your family. But if you're to trace back your roots to the early Church of Acts, which is what we can do, and there's a thread right runs right down that we'll find nothing but positives and joy yeah. uh, and a, a realization that we're part of a we're part of a family part of something bigger something much bigger yeah. uh, and the need to remember and to reflect and to teach our children that is is vital it's laid down in scripture anyway the Joshua the the stones at Gilgal and um, the uh, then at the end of Joshua there's the chapter about the renewal of the covenant mm-hmm. uh, and remembering and rededicating yourself, but you're remembering, you're thinking back to your past. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and thinking about historical Christianity, now one of the great aspects that has been handed down to us throughout the church is basic historical creedal statements and some churches and denominations in modern evangelicalism won't subscribe to even the most basic of historical creeds never mind admitting to being a protestant you'll you'll hear some evangelicals saying something like well i don't believe in creeds i just believe the bible what's wrong with a statement like yes well that is a a growing trend i think within evangelicalism here in ulster and it's following the american yeah following the american tradition and there are good folk in these independent works that have grown up and i know good folk in them but they take that view that you just outlined there. You know, we won't get, we won't be tied down by creeds or catechisms or statements of faith. We're just turning to the Bible. Yes, on at a superficial level, that that seems the way to go. But the church has benefited from being guided by those church fathers and others down the years who have had that understanding of Scripture and ability to express it succinctly to battle against heresy. I mean, the early councils were often battles against heresy. And and the way, the best way, I think, to, to, to stand their, your ground against false teaching is to 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 put together and draw together in a form of words those things that we, we believe. Uh, they don't take the place of Scripture, which is why, for example, we refer to the Westminster Confession and the Catechisms as the subordinate yeah, standards. Of course. And they are open to a degree of interpretation but I think a confessional church has that additional anchor mm-hmm. that it can hold to, and it keeps it from wandering off because it gives it a structure, it gives it a, it gives it a set of principles. It doesn't make it immune to uh, false doctrine coming in, or confusion, or div- division. But it helps a little bit. But a church that knows what it believes, mm-hmm. that has a systematic statement yes. of Christian belief will not be blown about so easily by no. diverse winds of doctrine. No, no, that's right. And that, that systematic theology, that covenant theology, does give you that, yes, gives you that anchor and you're not anchor. blown about as, yeah. as easily. Book of the Month. Follow the link to buy your copy. During the months of July and August, we'll be looking at John Knox, Scotland's reformer. If you'd like to learn more about John Knox, and there is a lot to learn, there's plenty of resources online. And if you prefer books, a good starting point is an excellent little primer, John Knox, Fearless Faith, by Stephen Lawson. It's just 100 pages, and it's packed with fast-moving information about Knox. And there's a link to buy the book on 
semper-reformata.com throughout July and August. Just follow the link in the episode notes. The book costs just £5.49. A small part of that goes to support this podcast. The Book of the Month, John Knox, Fearless Faith, by Stephen Lawson. Let's move on a wee bit, Wallace, and come a wee bit closer home. Um, I grew up in Belfast back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, where to be a Protestant had very little to do with religion, never mind biblical Christianity. Where I came from, Protestantism was cultural. We were Protestants because we weren't Catholics. And there was the old story, I must tell you this, that I heard when I was a boy about the Indian man who was selling clothes in the Shankle Road. And he was going round the doors and a couple of the locals came along and they asked him, being him being a stranger, they said to him, now tell me this, are you a Protestant or a Catholic? <laughs> and the poor man explained that he was a Hindu. <laughs> and the response from one of the locals was, I know, but are you a Protestant Hindu or a Catholic Hindu? <laughs> now, I don't know if that's apocryphal, but Protestantism was about tribal allegiance, not biblical faithfulness in Belfast in those days. Would you agree with that? And would you say that's still around? I think it's very much around. Uh, I'm sure the city was influenced by that kind of secular thing earlier on uh, than the than the towns and villages across Northern Ireland. Yeah. Uh, but I, mean, I grew up um, in North Antrim and I remember, you know, going to the 12th and so on. And it seemed to be like a very settled family, happy sort of day. Uh, but I've been back at demonstrations there, and they're 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 kind of tarnished now as well. Yeah, the Belfast demonstration yes. wasn't exactly like that. No, it would be a more raucous. It would have been yes, and it reflected affair. again a city type mentality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's there's a problem, uh, and it's a growing problem as society becomes more secular and less grounded in biblical truth. Then these loyal orders and the, the tradition of Protestantism in that broader sense is obviously going to get more and more uh, like the culture of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would be concerned about that. While I still believe that the loyal orders have a vital role to play uh, in defending biblical Protestantism, I just have concerns that that it isn't working out that well in practice in some some ways. You know, I have to encourage believers uh, and all the rest of it to, to hold the line, but it's difficult. And there's a sectarianism. I mean, people accuse... The EPS and so on have been bigoted, sectarian in attitude. But my view on that is we, we don't hate anyone. We, yeah. we, we protest for the, the faith yeah. once delivered to the saints. Stand we want to encourage Roman Catholics. In fact, it's a point I should make because some of the bulwark content is geared towards reaching out towards Roman Catholics yeah. and has gone into, they've gone into Roman Catholic hands uh, and they've engaged with Roman Catholics on, on those issues. So we want to be warm and evangelical and gracious in how you reach out. And in fact, the, the EPS, when it was founded, the, when the name was changed to EPS, it was made very clear then that we would um, we would be doing things in a courteous, positive and spirited way. Um, so there's a need to, to reach out yeah. and to, to battle sectarianism. The sort of thing that you saw in the Donald Orange Hall where they were Aye. making a song about a poor girl who died on That's honeymoon. Right. That was disgraceful. Dread, dreadful it? thing. I took part in the, the Covenant period, or not the Covenant period, the Centenary, centenary period there, just uh, the end of, of May. Uh, it was a dignified period and much to encourage me personally. But there were moments where 
the bands were playing what we know as the Billy Boys, and then yes. the crowds just were singing those dreadful yes. words. Yes. About uh, up to our necks and feeling your blood. And I, I just thought, I'm in this parade. I don't like I don't that. Like, that's not right. No. No. no that's absolutely so that's, not right. That's the sort of thing we've got it's, to combat. It's possible, mm. I think, to be a cultural Protestant mm. and not actually be a Protestant at all. Well, this is Far the thing. from it. This is the thing. The word itself has been taken, and people say that, you know, then you have the Ulster Protestant volunteers, you mm. have the, you have the, um, yeah. well, the, the, uh, the name Protestant pops up. Here yep. and there in cultural and atheistic circles. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I mean, traveling abroad, not just to foreign parts, even other regions of the UK, I found a dreadful ignorance among people mm-hmm. about Northern Irish Protestantism, mm-hmm. even among Christians. Here's an example, Wallace. I was listening to a podcast from a well-known Christian apologist from America a few years ago, and he was talking about Muslim extremists in the Middle East. He was talking about Hamas. Mm-hmm. And in the very same breath, he likened Hamas to what he called Protestants in Ireland. Mm-hmm. I, I was shocked. Mm-hmm. And I, I emailed him right away. And to be fair to him, he quickly apologized and he retracted that publicly. But mm-hmm. there's a widespread ignorance. And I wonder, is it due to the success of nationalist propaganda or is it largely the results of our cultural Protestantism here? Our cultural Protestantism, which is so widespread and so mm-hmm. easily identified with Ulster, I think there's a mixture of both. Bob, really, I yeah. think that uh, there's propaganda against us, uh, undoubtedly, and nationalists and republicans have maximised the the potential to portray us as a sort of a Ku Klux Klan or a, or you know these f- f- hate filled bigots. Um, and that has obviously affected that man you're referring to. Yeah. He's picked this up. But we, we, he knew nothing about us. No, he just no, picked up a cliche no. somewhere. See, the Orange Order being compared with the Ku Klux Klan again is yeah, a total inaccuracy. Completely, it's not only it's inaccuracy, it's a falsehood. It's an utter falsehood, but it's portrayed... But it's a convenient falsehood for, it is. for propaganda yes. purposes. It suits them because it gives the impression to the outside world. It's what we recently heard from the American politician... Um, forgot his name he talked about the planters Aye. and the gale yeah. now I'm a great issue with that if I was on to use those those words but coming in from outside as he was doing giving the impression that some of us weren't there long enough to be justified as being true Irishmen or true true people of the soil yeah. uh, so you have this 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 sort of designed uh, portrayal of us as strangers hard difficult awkward hate filled people whose only desire is to put the Catholic down and to 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 wipe the to, to to cause the crappie to lie down. Yeah. Uh, no, we're, we're not we're not entirely entirely blameless. Some of our traditions, some of the things we glory in, uh, are, are not good. As I mentioned there already, about things that have been sung and said, um, we don't always help ourselves. No, we but don't. That's, that's where Christians in these organisations and in Protestantism in general have to assert themselves yeah. and say this yeah. is not yeah. what, this is not what we believe this is what we believe. You know, so talking different. about cultural Protestantism, we're, we're recording this podcast just before we have here in Northern Ireland the largest demonstration of cultural Protestantism in the entire world. Our annual twelfth of July parades. Now I know that you have in print and publicly expressed an opinion on that before. Mm -hmm. I know that in some areas we have a happy family day out. Mm -hmm. There's picnics and there's fun and there's bouncy castles. And many times we go into the demonstration fields and there's gospel witnesses, Mm -hmm. people handing out tracts Mm -hmm. in the various demonstration fields. And of course we have the unique sound of the hundreds of marching bands 
and the orange men who walk with them. But there's another side to it too, isn't there? There's readiness and drunken, drunkenness and naked sectarianism on display in some places. Mm-hmm. Is there a Christian aspect to the 12th? I think very much so. But again, it's battling against those other traits that, that are now becoming more and more pronounced uh, and the, the outside world will say oh 12th of July day for drunkenness and bigotry and all that sort of thing and sadly there are elements of that but the core of the 12th of July is to give thanks to God for civil and religious liberty um, and again a knowledge of history helps because you can see that King William's uh, arrival in, in Britain uh, brought to an end the tyranny of the Stuart Kings who were dreadful despots. Now, all wasn't perfect after William. Uh, people complain, oh, they didn't do this, didn't do that, and the penal laws continued. But at that point, a marker was laid down for a, a liberal, democratic uh, statehood. Britain today uh, is is basically the result of... And the freedom of religion, freedom religion. For, 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 for Catholic for all, for and all, Protestant alike. Yes. Uh, and, I and, wrote an essay, Wallace, away back in the 1980s. I wrote an essay that was published in an English magazine on the Glorious Revolution mm-hmm. of 1688. And shortly after I wrote it, I got a letter from uh, a gentleman, a pastor who lived in Wales. It was an academic essay, mm-hmm. as far as I was concerned. It was simply a historical account of what was happening mm-hmm. in those days and the effects of it. And yet when this pastor wrote to me, he said that even to discuss such a thing made me a racist, fascist bigot. <laughs> You're not even allowed to talk about your Protestant history no. in some circles. No, well, that's that's akin to the uh, wokeism that we now have, unfortunately, isn't it? <laughs> yes, isn't it? Just <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to put you on the spot here mm. um, because no matter what you answer this question, no matter what you say, I know some of our listeners are going to disagree. Mm-hmm. Here's the question. Can a Christian be a member of the loyal orders? <laughs> well, yes, uh, that is a controversial question. That is a very controversial uh, There are good question. believers, good friends of mine, who would take the view that you should not be involved, that it requires all sorts of oath-taking and uh, secrecy and so forth and so on. And I understand uh, a lot of the arguments that they would put up. But as a member of the, the institution, the independent Orange Institution, which is broadly the same as the others in terms of, of how it's structured, I have no great difficulty with any of that. I don't feel bound to secrecy where it would leave me compromised. I feel that the, the benefits, a lot of the ritual and a lot of the, um, the, 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 sort of the, the secrecy element come out of the circumstances in Ireland at the time when the, the Orange Order was founded in, in the 1700, late 1700s, um, where there was a, for a feeling that we got to protect ourselves here. So that built, was built up. That has remained. I think within it, within the institutions, there is still a gospel witness. There's a mission field. Uh, I have access to Orange Halls, to missions, um, to 12th of July platforms, where you will get people listening um, and on a lot of the platforms on Tuesday, the gospel will be proclaimed, you know, and I think that those in the institution uh, need to take a strong stand in defence of biblical Protestantism. But I do, do believe that Christian a Christian can be in the loyal orders and play an active part and a positive part in it. But I wouldn't I wouldn't criticise someone who took a different view. No, absolutely not. But looking ahead, Wallace, is there a future for true Biblical Protestantism, with the growth of churches that are 
non-confessional, who don't really regard themselves as biblical Protestants. With the rising tide of secularism in society, what future is there for the evangelical Protestant society and indeed for confessional Protestant churches in general? Well, yes, we live in challenging times, uh, but there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, we do live in days of tremendous confusion on on spiritual matters. I mean, the land is dark, um, and I can understand people saying, "Oh, what's the point in battling with Roman Catholicism when there's a much bigger enemy out there, who, you know, who's who's against all religion in terms of all values of religion?" And you can understand how you know people would see those. The, the battles of the Reformation is no longer relevant. But I think they're very relevant because while, yes, we, we're glad of, of Roman Catholic support on issues such as abortion, um, we can't forget that Roman Catholicism is in spiritual darkness. Uh, and, you know, people are caught in that darkness. Our ultimate aim is not moral reform. Our chief aim must be the proclamation of the gospel as rediscovered by Luther to call men to put their faith in Christ and to stand fast for true Protestantism. I think even if we're fighting against the tide and and and, and all the rest of it, we, we've got to still stand the ground. Yeah. I mean, I wonder sometimes if the Protestant churches became a remnant, would that mm. be a bad thing? You know, a smaller, mm. more closely knit, more homogenous group of believers, more closely identified with each other and supportive of each other. Mm. I, I'm... I'm conscious of what you said earlier, churches that may differ in various mm-hmm. secondary issues, like baptism, for example, but who can unite together in the terms of the gospel, who believe in justification by faith, it could become the church more easily identified as the church. Yes. You yes. think that's possible? Yes, I think that's right. I mean, the, the, the size of denominations or congregations it's something that we look at and say, oh, look at the number they have. But I, I think there's a biblical precedent for saying the Lord will use the chosen few. Yeah. Uh, and we have nothing in us that makes us different or special. Uh, the Lord uh, has called us to be faithful. Uh, and as the, as the opposition to the word of God and to Christian principles generally intensifies, then those who are prepared to take a stand will face consequences, but there'll be a bonding together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think our responsibility is to stand fast in the faith and to be those who refused, refused yeah. to one compromise. Of the, one, of the, one of the examples of that, that just looking back on our own friendship over the years, mm-hmm. our late friend and good brother, the late George Dawson, pulled together a number of men from various denominations into the Caleb Foundation. Yes. From a very wide spectrum of evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. You know, everything mm-hmm. from Pentecostals through to Reformed Presbyterians who could mm-hmm. put aside secondary differences mm-hmm. and unite together for to try and bring influence on yeah. our, our on our province and on our government and on our, our authorities. Uh, simply because we believe mutually that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and Saviour. Yes. And we believed in the, the basic doctrines of mm-hmm. justification by faith. I think that's mm-hmm. an example of what a, a church could be like yes. in the future, where, we, where we're actually united on the essentials. Yes. Yes. Uh, and and yes. even if it's a remnant, yes. probably doing better. 
Yes, uh, and you mentioned Caleb and you mentioned George. I mean, George was a good friend, a good mutual friend, as you've mentioned. George's wisdom was was really helpful to us all, and he realised the need to maximise the unity and minimise division. And Caleb was founded in 1998, almost 24 years on from that. The climate has changed. George, George would be amazed now. The climate has changed so much uh, against us and the battle has become all the, the hotter. But we're back to that idea of, of the group standing together. And in the changing times in which we are living and the challenging times, the, the likes of Caleb and EPS and the church just needs to say, thus saith the Lord, exactly. lift the word of God, exactly. and proclaim it. Well, finally, Wallace, I mean, you do publish a great magazine. We get it at Ballymacash, and we're so mm-hmm. pleased to get it. Uh, the Ulster Bulwark. I suppose I have to reluctantly admit mm-hmm. that it's a far more <laughs> higher quality printout point than when I printed it uh, on, on a duplicator. Um, but you do print and produce and edit that magazine, mm-hmm. and you hold an annual meeting every year. Mm-hmm. And I've always noticed that you have a, a first-class speaker mm-hmm. uh, invited to that. So... How do our two listeners obtain the magazine <laughs> and and how do they support your work in the EPS? Well, thank you, Bob. Um, well, the, the magazine is available from, uh, uh, there's an address which I can give here if you're happy Please enough. Do. It's, it's yes. P.O. Box 306, Belfast, BT5, 7WA. Or they can ring on 07759621. One three seven. They're if they're socially media uh, aware and active, they can go on to the Facebook page and find us. Um, there's also a website where there's contact details, and uh, we will get back. I mean, unlike the days that you refer to, the heyday of Seamus and Howard Street, um, Seamus is gone. Um, I am doing it part time and have been since two thousand and one or thereabouts uh, from my home. Uh, so times have changed. Um, and we haven't any full-time staff. We don't have any full-time offices, but we operate and we will get back to folk. Uh, and uh, I'd be delighted to see the bulwark. The bulwark does go out to a wide enough um, readership, but we'd like to just keep, keep doing the widening out of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Can you give me that number again, Wallace? Just yes, in it's 07759 Great. So thanks again, Wallace, for joining me for this special edition of the podcast. And let's hope that the listener has found it very, very helpful. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to have been able to have this opportunity as well. Thank you very much. And to come and visit the studio pod. It's oh, it's, a, it's the theological equivalent of a man cave. It is. It is. A, it's, it's a it's a sanctified man cave. A sanctified it man it cave. It is. It is. Thank you very much, Thank Wallace. Thank you. Now, Wallace, wait to tell you, on behalf of the entire staff here, which is me, yes, I'd like to present you with a special commemorative mug, oh, which is in front of you, and you can take that home. And on the twelfth day, when you're slurping oh. your orange juice, you can use that. Thank and you very much. Remember, indeed. that's lovely. It's a good handle on too. Yes, it's got a it's got a very handy handle. Yes.